Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today I'm joined by Ryan Panzer. Ryan is the author of Grace and Gigabytes, Being Church in a Tech-Shaped Culture, and the forthcoming The Holy and the Hybrid, Navigating the Church's Digital Reformation, which we'll be talking about here shortly. Ryan has spent his career in the worlds of church leadership and technology. He received his MA from Luther Seminary while simultaneously working for Google. Ryan serves as a learning and leadership development professional in the technology industry and as a speaker and writer on digital technology in the church. Ryan also serves as the resident theologian at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Madison, Wisconsin, where he lives with his wife and two children. For more on his writings and resources, visit ryanpanzer.com. All right, welcome to the podcast, Ryan Panzer. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Uh, thanks for the introduction, Lawrence. Great to be here. Uh, I'm excited to have a conversation about hybrid ministry today. I guess one thing I'm really excited about is this new role I'm piloting at my my church in Madison, Wisconsin, where uh, I'll be working on an experiment to see how we can better integrate our weekly sermons with some digital content uh, throughout the course of the week. So uh, I've got some exciting experiments planned for that. Awesome. Uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk more about that uh, in this broader conversation. Uh, I've had Ryan on the show before, so I encourage you, I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes, but if you want to hear more about Ryan's kind of faith journey, go back and check out a previous episode with him. Uh, So Ryan, I want to just kind of hear from you um, how these last two years or however many years we've been in COVID, right? How that has challenged your own faith and ministry, if you're willing to share Yeah, I'd be happy to. First of all, the last two years have brought a lot of interest, frustration also, but but largely interest in the topic of of digital technology in the church. Uh, When I started researching and writing uh, about this topic, I was a, a seminarian at Luther Seminary. I was studying with a professor named Mary Hess. And at the time, it was an elective course there didn't seem to be a great deal of interest on, on digital tech and ministry. And, and so the, the main way that the last two years has shaped my ministry, if you, if you want to call it that, is that it's, it's really uh, created a ministry in the first place. It's, it's created hmm. a, a group of people who are interested in exploring these questions of what it means to be the church online, of what it means to be Christian community in, in a digital age. Now, now that's that's the positive. Of course, there's also yeah. been a lot of conversations I've had with pastors who are, are burnt out, who are resource constrained, and so it's also um, brought me down from the level of you know what can we do idealistically with all this technology, and really shown me that there's some difficult questions we have to answer as well about priorities and resourcing and and what God is calling us uh, calling us to be. Yeah. Um, what's, what's a faith practice that's kind of kept you grounded, kept you maybe sane in these last few years? Well, I don't want to say there's been a faith practice that's really kept me grounded or sane because there's been a lot of moments where I haven't felt particularly grounded, Yeah, yeah. but uh, I, I suppose just 
the act of writing has been helpful for me. I started my blog two and a half, three years ago. And just every time I can clear my plates and do some writing and blogging, I don't get a chance to do it as often as I'd like. But being able to put words onto a blank canvas really for me feels like uh, in some ways a, a spiritual practice. If I'm, if I'm really going through the, the progression, the flow that I like, you know, I, I connect a little bit of time of some scriptures, some, some contemplation, and then launch into uh, launch into some reading. But uh, the, the, that act of, of writing, of putting thoughts to paper about ministry, about ministry in a digital age uh, still remains to me a, a, a break, a practice, uh, something that, that keeps me grounded in my day-to-day. Yeah, great. Well, speaking of writing, um, you're the author of, is it officially out yet, uh, this book? Well, it, it comes out September 27th, so The Holy and the Hybrid, Navigating okay. the Church's Digital Reformation, is available uh, in late September of 2022. Okay, so as this is coming out, uh, as this is released, folks, it should be available for purchase. Um, so again, The Holy and the Hybrid, uh, what is it, Navigating the Church's Digital Reformation? That's exactly right, yeah. Share, if you would, kind of the story behind the book, how it came to be. So the book is the product of conversations I had with pastors as they started asking the question of what comes next. And uh, we, we had all these conversations about a post-pandemic church that ironically uh, began in summer 2020. And you know here we are, uh, fall of 2022, and we're, it seems like we're still looking forward to that post-pandemic right. church whenever it shows up. But But the book was meant to be a conversation guide that is accessible for lay leaders and, and ordained leaders alike to figure out how we walk through this this time where our communities aren't in the same physical location. And that's why I call it the digital reformation, because I see it as a reworking of the location of, of church community from one where we're concentrated in, in the same space uh, to the one where we're gathered across a blend of, of cyberspace and physical space. Yeah. So I'm excited to dive in and talk a little bit more about this, about the book. Why don't you share, uh, to get started, kind of what you mean when you use the word digital reformation? Sure. Well, the, the term actually has its roots from Dr. Elizabeth Drescher. She first coined the term. Mm. Uh, her uh, she, her work is really pioneering in this field of, of, of digital ministry. And uh, sh- reading her books in, in seminary really opened my eyes to the fact that the web wasn't just a communications or marketing channel for the mm-hmm. church, but was was really a ministry site. And I think when you when you when you consider what it means to uh, you know to reform the church, you're you're remaking something that's that's kind of core or fundamental to uh, to who God is calling us to be in the world. And, and, and the word digital simply means that we're we're remaking the, the location of our community as a blend of the the analog and the virtual together. Mm-hmm. So what are the ways you think that this digital reformation, as uh, I use Elizabeth, use the word, is shaping culture at large? Well, you know, you see the the blend of, of analog and virtual showing up as something that all institutions and organizations are trying to figure out. You know, schools are looking at how to do online in a hybrid world. Right. Uh, large conferences are trying to figure out what it means to, to have a conference attendee that's online and a conference attendee that's in person. There's not a space 
that that's immune from this conversation of of what it means to be to be hybrid. I think one of the symptoms, though, that you're seeing as a result of this conversation is a bit of frustration uh, about how it, in some ways, it feels like a a more superficial level of connection yeah. because it's spread too thin across the the analog and virtual worlds. And so, one of the prescriptions or recommendations I have in the book is to think very carefully about what the hybrid experience means in your church community. Mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't mean that we have to be online and offline at all times and in all places. Uh, in fact, maybe the worst thing a hybrid ministry can do is attempt to live stream or connect everything to uh, to the online. What I recommend instead is to think about what does the web do well? And, and, and you know, what the web allows us to reach out, to create new connections, to cultivate ongoing conversations, and to think about where are the moments we can kind of plug into that framework? Maybe that's a discussion group or a book study. Maybe it's live streamed worship. Uh, whatever it is, the decision about where and when we go hybrid is a critically important decision. And I certainly encourage all churches in the book to be having that conversation now about what moments will, will, will truly be hybrid in our, in our ministries going forward. Yeah. You know, the questions I have for you today are, are more kind of 30,000-foot kind of philosophical questions, but I think that's an important thing you have in the book is some discussion of these more practical matters. Because um, I think what you just highlighted there is a real challenge that churches can face is that temptation to kind of to do, um, for for lack of a better word, to kind of rebuild the wheel or, or replicate the wheel to try to just translate everything that they do, like you use the word analog, into the digital space. Yeah, and the, you know, tonight I'm going to my uh, to my church here in Madison. They have an event; they've had it all summer long, where uh, they have a food truck that shows up. Uh, there's there's some live music. There's some time for prayer and and group conversation, and, and it's a characteristically in person gathering. Uh, we would, in some ways, be foolish to bring out our tech equipment and uh, <laughs> our multimedia staff and try to have some kind right. of online component for it. Yeah, yeah, that's when you talk to churches about what they think hybrid ministry is all about. Yeah. They almost think that that's what we're, that's what we're dealing with here. So the, the first question we should be asking ourselves is, what are the moments in our ministry life or in our mission and vision that lend themselves to online connection, that, that allow us to, to make new connections, cultivate conversation, uh, and, and uh, integrate more uh, contributions from a wider swath of the community? If we can answer questions like that, and really the book is about cultivating those questions, then we can say yes to the maybe one or two moments where hybrid really makes sense yeah. and give ourselves permission to step away from the many, many places where hybrid can be uh, a source of frustration, even mm-hmm. a source of distraction. Yeah. Well, speaking of questions, uh, one of the, the things in the book that you you wrote that I really liked is you kind of write that past reformations ask new questions. Uh, so I was kind of curious, like, what do you think the mindset of, or I guess I'm kind of jumping ahead here. You kind of write in the book that in many ways, those of us are leading churches right now are kind of digital reformers and you encourage, uh, encourage pastors. I think uh, if I understood it correctly, at least as a digital reformer. So you're, you're encouraging us to, to ask new questions. I'm kind of curious, like what should some of those questions be? What should the mindset of a church reformer be? Well, 
the, the, the mindset of a church reformer is somebody who uh, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow a phrase from a, a resource, uh, an excellent resource called the, uh, the, the digital literacy toolkit. It was hmm. created by, uh, by Kyle Oliver and a few folks at Virginia theological seminary. And it's a, it's a great guide for thinking about what are the core skills, the fundamentals you have to do in order to do digital ministry effectively resource that, that predates the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the, the skills that they, that they come up with in their research is having a, a posture of experimentation. Hmm. And, and that to me defines what the mindset of a reformer really is. You know, it's somebody who's willing to take risks and try new things. Now in, in digital spaces, the, 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 the risk taking or the experiments that we, we might find ourselves, uh, um, undergoing very well might connect with nobody. Hmm. I recently yeah. uh, came across some statistics about the number of blog posts that are never read, the number <laughs> of digital apps that are never downloaded, number of podcasts the, never listened to, a <laughs> never number of podcasts never listened to, and and they're staggering. And and what it yeah. what it suggests is that the the default experience on the web is not one of viral TikTok videos that mm-hmm. make millions of dollars for their creators. It's it's one of of uh, striking out time and time again right. with trying new things that that don't get us anywhere, and so uh, the, to be a digital reformer in the sense of being a church leader is to have that posture of experimentation with the resilience to know that more often than not our results are going to falter and things aren't going to work out as we planned. That's yeah. okay. That's kind of yeah. core to what the digital age has set up for us. Uh, so I think bef- it'll come out here in the same or a few episodes before yours. But I have an episode with Lorenzo Labri- Labrija. I think so. If I remember how to say his name, he's an he's an Episcopal priest. Uh, he very much encourages that kind of risk taking attitude. Um, but I'm also reminded of, I think it is an article I read about Patreon. How uh, you know the, the common thought is, oh, just start a Patreon, you'll get supporters. And the vast majority, I mean, it's like a tiny sliver who make really anything significant on Patreon. Yeah. I have to imagine that uh, most podcast creators aren't raking in hundreds of thousands <laughs> of donations the way, uh, you know, all things considered or wait, wait, don't tell me. Yeah. Uh, those, yeah. N- those, those NPR shows might fetch during their fundraising drives. Right. Technically, I think I do have a Patreon, but if you're listening and you want to support the pod, just subscribe or leave a review or recommend it to somebody who's more than sufficient for me. Um, so you, so it's interesting because you talk about the posture of experimentation, um, but also, if I if I read correctly, uh, you, you write that the digital reformation rightly approached is more about continuity than change. So tell me yeah. more about that. When we think about the, what's happening with with our churches, what we're talking about is a change in the place of of ministry. It's not changing the ministry itself. Our core theological convictions remain unchanged. Uh, when when we when we think about the practices of worship, of prayer, of service, these are certainly things that 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 will remain. Uh, we're, we're simply considering the location where all of these things happen. And I think it were wise to remember that there's more similarity than difference here. Hmm. Uh, it's certainly a transition, but it's not a not necessarily the uh, uh, ultimate paradigm shift that some have made this uh, have made this out to be. 
So it's an experiment. It's a major change to be sure. That's why I label it reformation. But uh, in, in many ways, there are aspects of, of Christian community which remain you know, rooted in 2,000 years of practice uh, that, that remain unchanged. I also think going back to that, that idea of continuity, uh, the Christian tradition has always been one of virtual communities. Uh, I've been a longtime follower and reader of the work of uh, Heidi Campbell at Texas A&M University, and she's one of the the, the world's leading scholars on on digital ministry. And and she writes, and she's talked to me when I've interviewed her about how uh, St. Paul's world was just as much virtual as our own world today. You know, of course, they didn't have high high definition touchscreens, right. but they had Roman roads and papyrus and letter carriers and deacons that brought the messages uh, to lands near and far. And so Paul's communities were rather, were, were rarely sitting in the same room. They were virtually distributed. They yeah. weren't all in the same space. So in some ways, this digital reformation is a rediscovering of the historical roots of the church where we were connected by letters, by mass communication, uh, by, by, by travel, and we didn't always find ourselves sitting next to one another on Sunday mornings. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I want to share a quote here uh, from your book, kind of speaking to that continuity. Um, I wanted—I wasn't going to sh- share it, but then your um, where is it now? I can't find it. About the word and sacrament being like the oh, the theological foundation of the church is the grace of God encountered first through word and sacrament. Service to neighbors, our response to God's redeeming action, it turns us outward to love and serve the na- our neighbor, which I think is just a great quote. Well, thank you. And of course, you know, that's uh, that's thousands of years of Christian theology. Sure, and, you know, sure. I'm, I'm a Lutheran, so you can probably hear some of my Lutheranism come yeah. through with, within that quote. But the reason I, I, I come back to that quote as being kind of a, a basis for the, the argument I'm trying to establish in the book is that I'm arguing that when we gather in person, one of the things that our in-person gatherings do really well is that they equip us to, to, to serve our neighbor, to love our communities, and to do good works. And what I'm trying to get at here is that uh, it's not these acts of service that form the church. Rather, it is the grace of God encountered through word and sacrament that turns us that that, that turns us outward. I think that's a really important thing for us to keep in the back of our minds, uh, because in some ways, uh, it's what separates the church from many of the uh, many of the justice movements you'll find in digital spaces. You know, certainly those organizations, those institutions are doing amazing work in the world, mm-hmm. but it's it, what separates the church from a social um, from a social movement per se is that we have that rootedness in our in our word and, and sacrament, and that's always what what turns us outward. So, what I'm saying in the book is that uh, the reason we gather in person is in many ways to be nourished for that service, to be fueled by communion, which turns us out. For loves for, for for lives of, of of justice and service to the neighbor, and that's when I think one of the really appealing things about church these days is it provides that foundation for our work. It reenergizes us. It refuels us. Uh, in many ways, it empowers us to do work and uh, to do works of service and to do works of justice more effectively. Yeah, I'm going to nerd out for a little bit because I'm a church nerd, and I think this is what I love about church is that. 
you know, when we talk about all these kind of efforts, especially around social justice, I believe at least that um, what can make church so compelling is that, you know, we're essentially giving people like the foundation of why, you know, why we think Black Lives Matter, why we why we push for LGBT equality, at least from my perspective, you know, because this is what the gospel teaches us. Like it's, it's rooted in, in the, in the, in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, so I really appreciate, you know, having that be the foundation of what we do, you know, whether it's something that seems ancillary like tech, uh, making sure it's rooted in, in what our mission and values are. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I listened to your interview with Shane Claiborne and his work on uh, uh, on uh, on um, gun reform in mm-hmm. the United States, and he, he shared that story about how uh, he's working with these activists to to turn to actually uh, turn firearms into into farming implements. Yeah, and uh, I, I thought, you know, what a what a beautiful illustration of how uh, what Shane has encountered through his life in the church the witness of the gospel in his life has really uh, fueled his passion and invigorated his ministry, has given him uh, momentum to go carry out this really difficult work in a, in a world that that needs it. Yeah. You know, on a more practical level, and I'm hearing, I think this is one of the things that I was perhaps surprised about when I read your book, is I expected there to be more kind of a disruption advocating for more disruption, I guess, if in what I'm reading or, or what I read, and, and I think if I'm hearing from you, if I'm understanding you accurately, um, and I'm hearing this from other, from other church leaders too, is, is like, like there's going to be more that stays the same that is different. And I, I kind of, I guess I'm kind of surprised by that, but I guess it makes sense too. If we think about what these funda- foundational things are, is that fair? Yeah, I, I really do think that's fair. The, the, the idea that the uh, that the digital reformation is going to remake what Christian community is all about is right. is certainly out there and, and widespread. I think it causes us to reevaluate our location of ministry, which then leads us to reflect on our staffing structures mm-hmm. and and how we're organizing. It causes us to reflect what we do best online and what we do best when we're gathered together. But I but I. I like to lead it in some ways with with that reminder that uh, this is continuity with a two thousand year tradition. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not uh, abandoning the practices that are core to our faith, and when we remember that, it helps us to keep this work in perspective. Uh, it helps us to imagine it in a way that makes it sustainable. Perhaps the biggest impediment to digital ministry is just the feeling that it's too much work. Uh, it'll burn us out and yeah. there's too much to be managed. And uh, I, I get why that sentiment exists because if we try to take too much on, that that is indeed where it'll lead us. It doesn't have to. And in some ways, that's what the book is all about. From a practical level, you mentioned kind of staffing changes. Um, I mean, I know, I know you're, you're not serving as a lead or senior pastor. Um, I mean, do you think, just from your outside perspective, do you think that's a a decision? Do you think there's churches out there that need to make some hard decisions around staffing and perhaps budgetary priorities? I don't want to use the word, uh, the phrase hard decisions because in many communities, uh, they, they still have the resources to, uh, to do the things that they, that they want to do. Um, I would suggest that it's more about 
reflecting on what the digital age does well mm. and reflecting on what that in turn causes us to do with our resources. Yeah. One of the illustrations of what the digital age does well is your podcast series or anyone's podcast series. You have lots of different perspectives coming in on a regular basis to reflect, to process, to share ideas. And uh, that I think is an effective model of what, uh, what Christian ministry can be today. You know, it's not just the job of a preacher to provide one point of view from the pulpit, but to curate and cultivate different stories, different perspectives, different articulations of how God is specifically at work in individuals' lives. You know, if you could do those things effectively, uh, regardless of the format, whether it's it's through your preaching or your teaching or podcasts or videos, that part of it doesn't matter as much. But that idea of lifting up many different perspectives and voices is one of those things that the digital age should should predispose us to, to look at. All right. Let's take a quick break. All right. We're back with Ryan Panzer. And uh, doing this unconventionally, so uh, thanks for staying with us, listeners. Uh, Ryan, talk, if you would, about digital values. It's something that has kind of been a theme throughout your last book and this book and in our current conversation, but uh, I think it'd be helpful to just kind of define it for our listeners. Sure, and, and what, I, what I start by saying when we talk about the digital age is that before you think about any technologies, you have to think about the way the digital age influences the way we think and learn and believe and come to faith. And and so I've written in in my first book, Grace and Gigabytes, about how there are many values of of our tech-shaped culture, but but there are four that I think are particularly interesting for church communities. Uh, We live in a culture that wants to ask questions, Mm -hmm. that wants to connect in new ways that combine the online with the offline, uh, that give us the tools to create and bring us together for new ways of collaboration. Mm-hmm. So, so those four values are, are, are values that I, I, I like to come back to. But in addition to that conversation on values, I think it's useful to think about what the offline and the online world do well. And because what, what, what the offline and online world do well, does well, uh, or what, what each of these individually do well, in some way informs what we can and cannot do when we think about our plans for hybrid ministry. So one of the things the online world does really well is it extends a far-reaching invitation to the life of a community. Across geographies, across time zones, across denominations, it gives us the, 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 the keys to create connections that would not have been possible without all of this networked technology. Now, the thing our in-person settings do really well, uh, all of our analog gatherings, is that they form uh, they form rather deep ties. And they do so really quickly and efficiently. So when we gather on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, what, what that gathering is doing is it's giving us a, a pretty strong network with whom we can uh, with whom we can serve, with whom we can work, with whom we can live out our, our Christian faith and identity. So when you think about putting the online with the offline together, we can look at using the digital to uh, reach out, to uh, extend a broad-reaching invitation to the life of the community. And we can look at our in-person gatherings as being a place to equip folks for lives of service and discipleship within a deep community. 
that's what we need to pay attention to in this conversation about what is hybrid, what should we do, what should we not do, is what does each of these worlds help us to do well and how, how we can realize those benefits with the way we've structured our ministry. You know, it's interesting as you're talking, I'm just kind of looking at those four values. I wrote them down as questions, connection, collaborate, create. Like those are kind of speak to why so many institutions are dying, right? Because those are anti-institutional values. Like institutions don't want you to ask questions. Uh, there's a there's a real stiff or or strong boundary about what's connection, what what possibilities are there for connection and what aren't there for connection. There's generally not collaboration. It's like a take it or leave it. And then, you know, again, they're not necessarily looking to create new things. They're saying, here it is. This is this is the institution. Take it as it is. What you're experiencing there is the tension between a network and a hierarchy. Yeah. And yeah. to some extent, all institutions, even like really innovative, cool tech companies, like I'm guessing TikTok is still really hierarchical and bureaucratic with its org structure right. and is behind the times in a lot of these things. And, you know, all the kids are talking about TikTok these days. Mm-hmm. But but we live in a digital age that is defined by the network where communication goes from one participant to another in multiple directions uh, with very little regard for hierarchy. Uh, The only thing that people in a network share in common is that they've gathered around a shared subject. Now, that's really difficult for the church to get its its mind wrapped around because we have evolved to be... uh, you know, not necessarily hierarchical for nefarious purposes, but, mm-hmm. you know, what, hierarchies are what allow the church to have an institution, to perpetuate its own existence, to have accredited leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, what so many of us are experiencing right now is the tension or the pull that comes when when an institution that is uh, structured around very rigid hierarchies meets a world that is rapidly moving to a networked model of of connection. Uh, there's a book called Networked, uh, the new social operating system that explains some of these changes. Parker Palmer, a philosopher of education, is also uh, a quite quite a good author to read if you want to understand what some of these changes uh, are, are bringing about. And you know, across Christian seminaries, there's professors like Mary Hess and Jeffrey Mahan who are who are teaching about these ideas that there's really a new social operating system at work, and that's what's causing so much of uh, perhaps the the frustration that church leaders are are feeling when they ask the question, "Why aren't things working right as we might expect them to?" Yeah, it, it leads into I think something I wrote down from your book uh, that two practices that must be preserved from kind of this um, online worship that that took place during COVID: easy access and front row seats. and And I wrote that down kind of the notes I made to myself was kind of a parody of experience. And, you know, so what is, what is parody of experience in worship and faith formation? These, that's how I read it. What does that look like? Well, you know, put it in the context of a hierarchy versus a network. You know, if you're truly in a network, you should be able to participate in that community, regardless of your physical location. That means accessing worship, accessing discussions, accessing classes uh, in a setting that is convenient to you online or or offline. 
And, and so when we think about like some of the aspects that we want to preserve from the days when our churches were entirely online in the early days of COVID, really it's that, that choice of access where whether you're joining online or whether you're coming to the building, you still feel like you are an equal and valued and esteemed part of that community who has access to everything that that community has to offer. Yeah. Um, One other quote that stood out to me from the book is you said that the church will never be entirely virtual. Uh, And I, and I I kind of made an add on myself and wondered like, should it never be entirely virtual? Yeah. You know, I, I make the argument that the church at large will never be entirely virtual. There's always going to be a need for neighborhood based geographically concentrated community. I, I don't see how you can uh, experience the depth of relationality and the ability to equip individuals for lives of faithful service without coming together sometime. You know, yeah. whether it's once a year, whether it's once a week, whether it's daily, there has to be some level of, of face-to-face interaction for that to happen. And oftentimes that face-to-face interaction is best when folks are coming from a, a, a shared geographical center where they can kind of speak to the same sets of, of day-to-day experiences. Now, there will be experiments, of course, with digital-only forms of church community. And I think you can make the case that this podcast, that this show is in some ways one of those experience, yeah. experiments. Uh, but but there, there, are, there are examples you can point to. There's a, there's a church called the VR Church, started by Pastor DJ Soto in Florida that exists entirely in virtual reality. Hmm. Uh, there's there's a, a, a church started by Pastor Colleen Montgomery that exists entirely through podcasts and Instagram posts. Hmm. Even the, uh, the Episcopalians and the Lutherans are experimenting right now with what it would look like to do church effectively in the metaverse. Yeah, yeah. So th- there are experiments. Uh, and I'm not trying to discourage those in any way, but uh, for your typical everyday pastor, if such a role even exists anymore, right. uh, what I wanted to do with that statement is uh, really just help them to let go of the the the, the fear, the anxiety that su- that someday uh, our communities might be entirely in the cloud, entirely in cyberspace. Because for the most of us, I just don't see that becoming the default experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about uh, perhaps I need to have on one of those folks you mentioned about kind of the VR metaverse church. I mean, it's interesting because you can show up, um, you know, not as maybe your physical appearance, but what you might perceive as your true self, right? In a metaverse type situation. Yeah. And DJ Soto has done a lot of work about just articulating what you just said, that you, when you show up with an avatar in VR, in some ways, you're showing up as a more authentic representation right. of you than when I, you know, show up at, uh, you know, in, in, uh, <laughs> in clean dress pants and a button down shirt and polished shoes on Sunday mornings. Yeah. I, I don't know which of myself, which of those selves is more authentic to who, to I, who I really am, but certainly, uh, some of the features of virtual reality and the metaverse, uh, lend themselves to greater authenticity and genuine connection than what you would find in, in typical face-to-face settings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'd probably have a fuller head of hair perhaps <laughs> in my VR setting. But uh, anyway, let's get back to it. Um, I mean, any other thoughts just for, you know, I think um, 
may I'll say this if I haven't already, uh, for, for folks who are going to read the book, I think what I, you know, when I initially encountered the book, I thought it was just a kind of plain apologetic for kind of online tools and tech. And it's, it's a much more, um, um, thoughtful, nuanced approach. So with that in mind, kind of any last thoughts you want to give for pastors or leaders who are kind of navigating this continually in their own uh, very much traditional in institutional spaces? Well, th- that's really the, that idea of navigating a transition to hybrid ministry in a traditional institution. That is what the book is designed to do. It's designed to look at what do we really mean when we talk about hybrid what do online connections do really well? What do face-to-face encounters do really well? Mm-hmm. And knowing that, how can we put two and two together to make a new model of church community that preserves the traditions of the past and helps us to move into a culture that's become, that's become more accustomed to networks in, instead of hierarchies? Yeah. And I think to, to, to the extent that your congregation, that your ministry is interested in that conversation is, is the extent to which you will uh, enjoy the book. Yeah. Um, what do you think the next two to five years and then maybe five to 10 years um, for, for pastors and churches will look like? Um, earlier this morning, I just had a conversation with a, with a, a clergy person who's starting a consulting company to help churches close. I mean, I think that's going to be a reality of the next two to five years. What are your, what are some other thoughts you have? Well, you know, I'll start with some of the positives. I I think uh, on the positive, we'll, we'll have to accompany our communities and helping them to think theologically and think as Christian public leaders themselves, fewer institutional churches will be able to employ full-time staff and full-time clergy so that the role of church leadership will become one of of forming and equipping leaders, not just cultivating and growing members. Mm -hmm. And I I think that that's an exciting turn, uh, helping, helping communities to think theologically about where has God shown up in our community? How has God at work here? And how are we called to, to respond uh, part of that work is going to be online. Part of that work is, of course, going to be offline in face-to-face settings. Now, what's going to frustrate pastors is we're still tied to a model that is very institutional, even hierarchical, and is slow to respond. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when, when I talk to pastors about their uh, experiments in social media, for example, the, the, rather than trying to pick up uh, a new form of media and just embody that posture of experimentation, uh, they're oftentimes taking more of a slow, deliberate plotting approach to it. And yeah. as a result, they're missing out on the opportunity to participate in that in that cultural moment. And I think that the narrative of decline that is so rampant within our churches is going to continue to uh, perpetuate itself, even when it to the extent that it's not healthy uh, for it for it to always be front and center of our imagination. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Andy Root at Luther Seminary. He's written a fascinating book about churches and in, in the crisis of, 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 of decline and how that idea of institutional or denominational decline is in some ways a red herring to what the church really should seek to be entirely about. But, but I think that that conversation is is going to grow. So, you know, five, 10 years from now, I think we'll be looking at a church that is 
less centralized, less institutional. Yeah. I think we'll be looking at a church that is more dependent on uh, theological thinkers who uh, in some, some ways are, are self-organized online and offline for the purpose of responding to God's call in the world. And beyond that, who knows, you know, who could have predicted uh, what would happen in the last, it's been 900 days now since, since the the COVID shut our churches down for the first time, who could have predicted all that would have happened. So, uh, so much of this remains to be seen, but it sure will be an interesting time to follow in Christian history. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, it will be. Um, Yeah. I'm just continually my, what's going back and forth in my mind is just this contrast of your network imagery versus kind of the hierarchical institutional imagery. Um, One thing kind of related, and this is kind of getting into the weeds a little bit, but I can't help but think about it is one of the things that I've noticed and maybe, maybe I'm alone in this is that traditional forms of worship in mainline churches tend to be very, very high church, very like um, you need almost like a, I mean, I've literally seen one church where they had like a like a, a manual for how to participate in worship, uh, and given to your your values of easy access, and kind of do do mainline churches, especially those who have a more traditional worship style, do you think they need to think about simplifying worship styles? I mean, it's, this is a really practical question, uh, but I'm kind of curious how do you think worship styles kind of fits into, and again, is a loaded question for sure, right? So maybe you want to pass, but I'm just kind of curious your thoughts. Well, it certainly calls us all to be liturgists and thoughtful liturgists with the way we construct liturgies. You know, the the, uh, the aspects of the service, which are perhaps least conducive to streaming, are the aspect of uh, the service where everybody processes to the altar for uh, for communion, Uh, And passing the offering plates, you know, both of those are awkward for the at-home online viewers. So, uh, yes, uh, this will be a time for liturgical experimentation, to be sure. What I want to be careful of is saying that we have to get away from the rubric or the patterns that have defined liturgy, Mm. because those give us a practice, they give us a language. Mm. And when we think about what what the digital age is often all about, it's giving us new practices and, ex- and languages to uh, to explore. And I think that the liturgy is the language that the church has for uh, talking about, you know, talking about something that is tr- impossible to fully express, which is mm. what God is up to you know, in our world. So I actually would go the other way with that question and say that the format of our liturgy will not become less formal but rather it will become more attended to and a more central uh, source of, of conversation and discussion about what the church should be. That might even mean our, our rubric becomes fuller, richer, more even, even in some places more complex. Uh, but I, 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 as a good high church liturgical <laughs> Lutheran, I, I, I'm going to stick my neck out for the liturgy every time. Love it. Uh, perhaps you can hear my low churchiness here in that question. <laughs> great conversation. Great, great, great. All right. This is good. Um, thanks again, Ryan, for your time. Share, if you would, how people can connect with you and get a copy of the book. 
Sure. Well, well. Uh, to connect with me, my website is www.ryanpanzer.com. Uh, the Holy and the Hybrid hits bookshelves on September 27th, and it'll be available wherever books are sold. Uh, Luther Seminary does have a free preview chapter up on their Faith Lead portal. Uh, if you don't want to pay for the book, but just want to read the intro in the first chapter, that that's available for you now. And if you want to follow some of uh, some of our experiments. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Madison and Verona. Uh, we'll, we're going to be looking at how to better integrate preaching themes with digital content throughout the mm-hmm. week. And that's an experiment that we'll be starting on Sunday, October 9th. Well, uh, thanks again for the conversation. For our listeners, we kind of had to do this over two days because of tech challenges. So, Ryan, I really appreciate your, your hanging in there and making this work for me because I wanted listeners to be able to hear uh, this conversation. And Thanks for again for your time, and I'll leave you with something you'll appreciate here as a, as a high church. Uh, may God's peace be with you. And also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.